you know, we should throw some love to uh, to to Paul and Ace, Paul's album and to Ace's album too, because you know we want to discuss all four of these records. And and um, you know, like I I do love all four of those albums. My my favorites are Jeans and Peters, but I have to say that might be because I grew up with those two albums. Those are the two solo albums I got as a kid. Um, I had Jeans on vinyl with all the cool posters and everything. I had Peters on cassette and. You know, when you're like six, seven years old, what you have is what you listen to. <laughs> and you listen to it over and over and over again. And I think it becomes kind of, um, you know, emblazoned in, in your mind or whatever you want to say. Um, but I like Peter's album a lot. I love the songwriting. I love the singing. I love the performances. Um, I love the groove. And I love the production. Paul's album, I got much later. Um, I, I, in fact, I think I got Ace. I think I got Ace's album, followed shortly by Paul's album, late, much later, like when I was in high school. Um, Ace's record, I just remember, <laughs> I, I hadn't really heard any of it, um, and I brought it up to the counter in this little record store. Um, for those people listening from New York, the record store is Rockin' Rex uh, on Central Avenue. It's gone now. It was across from the Will Branch Library. But someone listening will know, So I, I hope. And write me an email about it because I, I, I want to know that someone else remembers that story. Rockin' Rex. And I took it up to the counter. And the guy who worked there was a guy named Tony. Um, and I brought, I brought the Ace record up to the counter. And he just looked at me. He went, back in the New York groove, which I thought was really funny. Um, took it home, spun it, loved it. Have really fond memories of, of Ace's record and just as a soundtrack to a really, really fun time in my life being like 16 and hanging out. And that, that record was stellar, I think. One of the things I've always loved about uh, watching things from different tours, and uh, they did this particularly on the, uh, I believe, the second leg of the, the reunion tour, is when um, they would sing, you know, back, back in the whatever city they're in groove. You know, and uh, Ace with the light-up guitar. And that song was actually, if I'm not mistaken, the biggest hit from the four solo albums. Oh, no no doubt about it. And, uh, I mean, there's still some debate, I guess, about which album sold the most. It's either Ace's or Gene's, I guess. You know, it's like depending on who you ask. Um, uh, but, that, yeah, that song was the hit. And it, and, and it deserved it because it was such a good song. Try watching a Yankees game or a Met game or you know, a Knicks game to this day without hearing New York groove come over the loudspeaker. It's anthemic, especially, I mean, speaking for myself, being from New York, it, 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 these days, if I saw Ace live, um, and he played that, it would, I would probably bring a tear to my eye. I love that song. Love it. Um, and, and in fact, you know, apropos of that, let's, uh, you know, let's, let's give a little shout out to Ace who really appears to have, um, straightened himself out, cleaned himself up. You know, he played like a champ, sang like a pro. This is a cut from Halloween 2007, and this is Snowblind.
last but of course not least is the the ultimate rock star, um, the ultimate uh, rock frontman, Mr. Paul Stanley, whose uh, 1978 solo album really, you know, if it has anything that the other three don't have, it it just sounds huge and it sounds powerful. And uh, you know, when you listen to Tonight You Belong to Me, it has that Black Diamond kind of feel, you know, the slow beginning, and then. You know, then it just it bombards you with sound. You know, it's, it's much louder to me than the other three albums. Here's here's a silly criticism, and, and it's, I say it's really a silly criticism because it's silly. There are some tunes on that album that sound like they were later recycled. Uh, Tonight You Belong to Me is uh, the same song as Nowhere to Run. I can see that, actually. Right, it's got that kind of, like, mellow intro kind of finger picking or whatever and the uh the that has the same chord structure the i'm not going to sing it but it's the 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 chorus of nowhere to run and the chorus or the no the verses of tonight you belong to me um they sound the same and then for my money i think that love in chains which might be my favorite song on that album love in chains uh, sounds like easy as it seems which you know again it's a silly criticism because it, as far as I'm concerned they can write 10 songs that all sound the same I like all of them I really like all of the songs I just mentioned so it's a silly criticism Kiss is known to do that though to have uh, songs on one album that sound exactly the same um, there were two on Revenge I believe it was Tough Love and uh, Heart of Chrome maybe they're really similar yeah and that, that, you know da 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 you know right Right, 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 yeah. And, well, um, what about Take It Off and Psycho Circus? You know, I never noticed the similarities until they were just mentioned to me right now. Well, and then you get that kind of the big scream at the beginning and, and um, similar chord progression again. I mean, I don't know. But we could, we could do this all night. But, but, uh, yeah, but they do do that. They recycle kind of uh, melodic things and lyrical things, too. I mean, there's a lot of Gene songs, it seems, that mention laughing when you want to cry and... Um, Sleep without tears. <laughs> and here's Paul doing Tonight You Belong to Me from his recent Live to Win solo tour.
So one of the things we thought we would do um, is give you a little bit of what the members of KISS were saying at the time that the solo records came out about their own albums. There was something that came out at that time called the Black Box. It's the, the KISS Black Box. In fact, the, the, the KISS Box set is fashioned to look like the Black Box. And what the Black Box was, was it was um, four interviews, you know, one with each of the members of KISS, where they, there were gaps in the interview where the interviewer could, could um, record their own voice asking questions. And so it would sound like they were being interviewed by that person. And so these are the black box interviews with Gene, Paul, Ace, and Peter. Enjoy. The Kiss albums. Four of them. One by each member of the band. Is this the beginning of a Kiss breakup? Paul Stanley, Peter Chris, Ace Fraley, and first, Gene Simmons. Initially, I was going to title the album Man of a Thousand Faces, and then all four of us decided and agreed that each one of the albums was going to be called Kiss, and the name of the group member to show everybody that we, we are certainly not breaking up and that we're getting along better than we ever have before and that, you know, we're just doing this just to show everybody that you can do, that we can do anything we want to do. The big secret about these songs is that I've been writing these songs all along. And in fact, on the album, I'm not playing bass at all. The bass player is a name, is a guy, is a name whose man is, is a guy whose name is uh, Neil Jason. And I'm playing all the electric and the acoustic guitars on the album. In fact, when I do demos, I, I play the drums and keyboards and bass and guitars. It's an album about me. I think since the album is called Kiss Gene Simmons, it's, a song, it, it's songs and an album about me. In early April, I went over to England uh, to a place called The Manor, which is where the basic tracks were done. Initially, there were going to be a whole... It was going to be, you know, the cavalcade of stars kind of thing. And then I thought, and then figured out that it would probably get in the way of getting the album across as lyrically and musically. You know, you'd be just blinded by these stellar kind of personalities. But as it stands now, the first song is Radioactive, and you've got uh, Joe Perry of Aerosmith doing some guitar embellishments. Um... Bob Seeger is singing the chorus with me. Then on the second song, Burning Up With Fever, Donna Summer is singing the chorus. Jeff Baxter from the Doobie Brothers is doing some guitar. Elliot Randall is doing some other stuff. Third song uh, was called See You Tonight, which is a kind of a Beatlesque song. And to that end, Paul McCartney was supposed to be on the album. He is not. I know people thought he was. So I got the next best thing. The guy's from Beatlemania. Mitch Weissman and Joe Pecorino, who look and sound just like John and Paul. The next song, Tunnel of Love, has basically me and let me see, Tunnel. Yeah, everything is basically me with lots of people. I, I don't think that you've heard of doing uh, chorus stuff. Uh, the lead guitar is Richie Rano from a group called Stars, who just happened by one day and said, "What does that sound like?" I said, "I don't know. Give it a give it a try." And the last song is True Confessions with uh, the Azusa, California Citrus College chorale under the direction of Ben Bollinger, which is a 40-member college group of kids that just have these kind of angelic voices, joined on True Confessions by Helen Reddy, singing right along with everybody else. The second side of the album starts off with Living in Sin, and Living in Sin has got uh, uh, Gene Simmons and Bob Seger singing the choruses, 
And Cher is the groupie that calls on the telephone and says, Is this Gene Simmons? I can't believe it. And then on uh, Always Near You, Nowhere to Hide, is Elliot Randall doing some guitar. Basically the guitars of myself, however. The guys from Beatlemania, Mitch Weissman, Joe Pecorino, doing oohs and ahs. Let's see what else. Oh, and then on the end, on the, on the fade, is the Azusa California Citrus College Chorale under the direction of Ben Bollinger. I promise to get his name in there every time. Uh, the song after that is Man of a Thousand Faces, which is me uh, playing guitar and then doing all the vocals with members of the Los Angeles Philharmonic Orchestra. The song after that is Mr. Make-Believe with... Uh, Mitch and Joe from Beatlemania doing ooze, you know, sounding like the Beatles, with me. Um, Skunk Baxter is doing some stuff on there, some guitar all the way at the end. Song after that is See You In Your Dreams, which was recorded by Kiss once before on Rock and Roll Over, and I didn't like the way we did it. We were just, you know, always harried for time. Harry, Ozzy and harried for time. Sorry about that, folks. Uh, the solo is done by Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick, who nobody knows can play guitar like that. I mean, it's like, uh, I mean, the guy sounds like Page, the best Page you ever heard. Page 9, Page 10. Uh, also singing on the thing is Michael DeBar from a group called Detective. And uh, the last song is obviously When You Wish Upon a Star with members of the New York Philharmonic Orchestra on it. When you're, do when you're doing consistent tours for five and six years, the only time we had off, vacation time, this is our first real vacation. We're taking a year off, and in that year we're putting on four solo albums, plus there's going to be a double Kiss album coming out next summer that nobody knows about, all original material. There's more Kiss stuff now than people have ever seen before, and yet we're taking a year off from touring so that we can do this stuff right. We've always been capable of doing different kinds of material, as witnessed by Peter as early as Beth, and uh, Paul's song, Hard Luck Woman, which is an old song. But we never really wanted to f uh, bring that out because, you know, we were, we were building something. We were building a, a personality, a sound, a concept to, the, to our group. That was very important to us. And we wanted to get it to the point where we'd have enough fans and enough people that believed in us so that we could go, we, you know, we could kind of have this understanding between each other you guys as our fans you guys and girls as our fans trust us expect only the best from us and once once you know that we're going to be putting out really interesting different kinds of stuff we'll do it the purpose of the solo albums was not so much uh let's think to add some more songs to the kiss repertoire that's a big word repertoire i mean the purpose really of it was to let every everybody in the band a chance to stretch and do all the things that everybody's always wanted to do, but never did because of self-imposed restrictions. Nobody ever told us, you know, you're not supposed to do anything except play guitar and, you know, and grunt and growl and talk about strutters and songs like that, which are a lot of fun, and we've, you know, we've always loved to do that kind of stuff, and that's the best kind of stuff to do live. But, uh, I mean, all along, we've imposed restrictions on ourselves, on ourselves, because we've always wanted to be easily accessible. We didn't want to be one of those bands that you sat down and heard a nice song and then tried to figure out what the hell the lyric was all about. You know, when you hear about butterflies flying through the center of your mind and 
try to figure out what that's got to do with anything. And we certainly didn't want to be the kind of band that, that was saying, oh, the times are changing and the world's terrible. And you know, and you pay $7.98 to see this guy on stage saying miserable things about life. I don't want to pay to be either insulted or brought down. We're certainly nobody that, I'm nobody that should tell you what to, what to do, how to dress, what to think, you know, or even who to vote for, any of that stuff. The only thing any entertainer can hope to do is to provide some, you know, decent escapism. Next is Paul Stanley. Well, I guess first there's, there's a, a certain amount of trepidation. You know, you're a little scared about it because um, working in a group situation is, is actually kind of like being married because you know your partner's moves after a while and you're very secure within the... the um, world that you build up between the two of you or the four of you. In the case of the band, it's four, you know, the four of us. So the idea of going out and playing with other people was, was pretty much a challenge. It was, uh, I don't know, I looked to it uh, as pretty exciting initially because I'd get a chance to see just what I was capable of. You know, what I wanted to do was be much more diverse in what I was doing on the album at the same time not come across like um, I was selling out or uh, I was doing different types of music to show what I was capable of that that was the last thing I wanted to do with the record you know I, I didn't want people to to get the idea I was trying to show I've matured you know because maturity is like a dangerous word you know what I wanted to do more was just do things that I've always done, but never done on record, you know? So, um, sing more, do some more melodic singing, which doesn't even mean soft singing, you know, it just means uh, more emphasis on melody. And, um, I don't know, I think uh, I've done a lot, you know, to, to broaden my uh, scope. And I think Everybody that's ever been into us is going to enjoy it. But then on top of that, I think there's a, a whole new audience. The one person that I've used on everything besides myself is Bob Kulik, who's been a friend of mine for about six years. Actually, he tried out for Kiss. Right now, he's in Meatloaf. He, before that, did a tour with Alice Cooper and um, was in Lou Reed's group. He's a, he's a great guitar player. And uh, I used him on everything. I used... Uh, on a couple of cuts, the bass player from Meatloaf, Steve Buslow. On a couple of cuts, I used Richie Fontana, who used to be in Piper. I used him on drums. On some other cuts, I used a guy, Eric Nelson, on bass, who plays with Nick Gilder now. I used uh, Craig Cramp, who's a drummer for Nick Gilder now. He used to be in Flo and Eddie. And uh, before that, he was in The Robs. I used him on some stuff. And uh, then on some other stuff... One track I, I had Carmine play on, and um, a friend of mine, Pepe Castro, sang with me on some of the stuff. Pepe was in the Blues Magoos, and he's doing some great stuff out here now in L.A. And um, a friend of his, Doug Gling Katsaros, great name, he uh, plays piano and sings on some stuff. Bob and I have been working together for about five or six years. He and I play very, very well together, so he knows exactly the way I think. So that was easy. Still, to walk into a studio and see a whole different band than the guys I'm used to is, is very uh, interesting, very strange at first. But um, 
more what I was looking for was people that were on the same wavelength as I was so that without too much you know talking I could get them to play what I wanted um, I didn't think I should sit down and tell anybody note for note what to play I thought that I should be able to direct them but that the um, the ideas had to be similar to begin with you know the musicians had to be thinking the same approach as I was so uh, it was actually very refreshing to work with different people I can only grow from things like that up till now some of the guys have always been more involved in the production than others just you know for whatever reasons but I think at this point everybody's grown tremendously with their albums the really nice thing about it is that when the albums are all done and each of us hears the other it's it's really a great way of saying hey this is what I'm about this is the way I've always heard things it's like uh, really getting to know somebody even better than you do so at that point we can only respect each other that much more I don't think any of the albums are going to be a letdown I think all of them are going to be wonderful albums a lot of groups run into frustrations because they need to get away from each other they need to create a little on their own and not given that space to do it, things get a little edgy. We all just went off and, and did our thing. Granted, if one of us did it, like in any group, I think it's a different situation, though, with KISS, because in most groups, you don't have four strong personalities. So the guy that usually goes off and does the solo album in a, in a group context is uh, usually the main contributor anyway. So, sure, the other guys feel... Hey, he's leaving us, you know, he's going to move out soon. Whereas with KISS, we all contribute, and we all have a lot to say, so we all just went off and did our albums. You, it doesn't really apply to most bands, because I don't know that uh, the Joe Schmo group uh, could go out and all guys do an album and they would sell. It's, it doesn't quite apply. You know, KISS is an exception. We, we've anything but broken up. It's, um, it's like six years down the line now, you know? And there's not that many groups around that have been together six years. Sure, we go through, through changes and metamorphoses. And, you know, KISS now is not what KISS was in 73. But um, KISS is a lot more knowledgeable. We've been through more. I see KISS becoming a uh, much more than a legend. Where I want to become a, an institution. I mean, we started this off broke in a, in a one-room rehearsal loft with egg crates on the wall. And we've taken it this far, and uh, I want to see it become exactly that. I want to see an institution. Peter Chris. Yeah, I think that's why uh, our manager, Bill, did that. You know, it was like maybe the Beatles' White Album or their Sgt. Pepper. You know, it's when they finally showed their versatility. I mean, when Harrison finally broke out and did his thing, and Ringo finally did his thing. Uh, we're doing it now, and I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to show it. I mean, it's gonna, it's time, man. We've been doing Kiss albums for six years, and we've got we got to show everybody there's more talent in the band than just that style. And you're right, a lot of kids just dig the show. Half the times, I don't even know if they know what the hell we're singing about or what we're playing about. With Beth, they really listened. I mean, because it did make the top ten. I did one big award for it. Uh, they're gonna listen again now. I think it's gonna make our audience bigger. Uh, there's a song that I do called. Uh, I can't stop the rain, and I open it up in an echo chamber like I'd be in a subway in New York, and I go, uh, this is New York, and it is very New York, and I did half 
I did some tunes in New York City, but I did the rest out here. What I was afraid of was L.A. musicians thinking, oh, man, they're so laid back, and let's take a health salad break, and you know, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to really get no kick-ass music from them, and they're not going to play real New York City for me. But I was fooled, because Vinny Poncia, my producer, uh, is from Brooklyn, and he grew up in the streets also. And he got musicians that really played very streetsy, very, very, very New Yorkish, which I needed very bad because I'm from New York, and I'm proud of it. I'm really from Brooklyn, but I mean, I've worked with a lot of producers, but uh, he set my drums up in the middle of the studio and set the musicians around me, and he was the only producer I've ever seen. Instead of sitting behind the board inside the room playing it cool, sits outside. And he also arranges, plays every instrument, sings. He sings a lot of the songs you heard, he's singing on them. And uh, he won a Grammy with Leo Sayer. And he, he worked with uh, Richard Perry, who was a genius. And uh, when I met Vinny, and I set up that way, I instantly got respect as, a, as an artist. And he didn't, never told me how to drum. Never once said drum this way because he knew I, you know, what I, he, knew, he, he respected me. Instantly I respected him, you know, and he was like, you could do it, man. Uh, the key's too high, let's try this key. Uh, this song should be sung a little quieter. Why don't you just take it easy? Don't put all your energy in at once. Uh, I'm learning how to run a board differently. We're working side by side. It's a very close relationship. From New York, there was a guitarist called Elliot Randall, who I worked with in the early days. Elliot's one of the best in New York. There's a lot of them. I can't think of all their names. Uh, there's like uh, Bob Como, who played uh, synthesizer piano, and Richard Gerstein, who played on piano in New York. There's, there's, a, there's, there's uh, Bill Bodine, who played bass. Uh, I used the Farragut Brothers, who Vinnie worked with on a lot of albums, so Harmony. Uh, three bass players, three piano players, uh, the horns and strings. I've used three black girls in New York, three black girls out here. So it's, uh, there's a lot of people there. It really is. The only other song I did from anybody else was Bobby Lewis's Tossing and Turning. And I always liked it because I have insomnia. And I can't sleep at night. And it's true. And, and uh, I related to it. And I used to do it years ago. And I thought of, and Vinny came up with it anyway, and he said, the song has never been done only once. And with your voice and my arrangement, let's redo it, man. And it's a great tune, and, and it is. I love it, you know. I couldn't sleep at all last night. It was so, such, so true, man. And it reminds you of New York, and I did it. And the other tune, uh, You Matter to Me, uh, I don't know who wrote it, but he brought that in for me and rearranged it. It's the only two tunes I'm doing from somebody else. All the rest I've written myself. I didn't want the wrong mind. If you think about it, the sound is the sounds have changed so much. I mean, like now the Bee Gees are in, and disco was very big. I mean, I thought disco would last for a year. It's the biggest thing happening, and and the song "You Matter to Me" is very disco. So I, I did it. I did a disco tune, only my way. It's an old style that we know about that I brought back, and to them it'll be a new sound all over again. I mean, music is a circle. Clothing's a circle, everything's a circle, it comes back. I want to bring back that era when Sam and Dave, you know, uh, Soul Man, all that Motown was really big then, you know, and they had the Supremes and the Shangri-Las, and it was really a happening era. And it was good dancing music, and now dancing's back. 
I was eating my heart out because this music was in me so long. I was dying to do it and dying to do it because I know they're going to accept it. I think they're really going to get off on it. It's it's going to be a it's going to blow minds. The movie's coming out, the uh, NBC two-hour special, which was our first acting debut, which was weird because we never acted before. It was actually dramatic and lines and really getting into characters and all. So that's going to come out and four solo albums. So it's going to be a very heavy month for us. And now and then we're working on. We want to do another motion picture because uh, it's only going to be TV. We want to do a really movie motion picture and do a soundtrack for it, like Hellboy or Hard Day's Night. And then we'll probably do a three-month stadium tour next summer. And by then we'll be probably we haven't been around by then for probably two years. Some kids will be dying to hear us, and by hearing these albums, they'll be dying to hear these songs. So that's going to be great. I think we're maybe the first band ever to do that. Probably I think we are to do that. When I don't compare us to the Beatles, because I love the Beatles, I mean, they're my favorite band. But we are a phenomenon, and, and we're the only group that, like the Beatles, sold lunchboxes and radios and buttons and buckles and all that stuff, and no, no other band's done that, and we had the largest show that's ever been put out. And we do cause insanity, and, and kids go crazy, you know, and I haven't seen that since the Beatles. And we're the first New York band to become a supergroup. No New York band has ever become a supergroup, nor sold out the Garden Three Nights. I'm really proud of that, very, very proud of that. And uh, it'll go down in history. I, I, don't, I don't remember any band from New York except for the Rascals, and they weren't even as big as us. But they were great, but they weren't a phenomena. Kiss is a phenomena. I mean, we really are, and I'm proud of it. And it's scary. I don't like to think about a lot because it scares me because I don't believe we're that big until I get on the ramp and run up it and hit the stage. You know, like Tokyo, you know, we, we sold out six nights at the Budokan and broke the Beatles records and they didn't even know what we're singing about and they're fainting and going crazy and it's, it was like, I felt like I was Ringo Starr actually and it was a great feeling, you know, especially uh, being from New York, no, usually New York bands don't have a chance, you know, we never did. It's always English groups are the big groups. So I'm really proud of that. I really am. And doing four solo albums and still being in Kiss is, is great. I think it's really going to prove, it's going to blow a lot of minds. It really, really is. Probably more than I even realize. Now, Ace Frehley. I played lead guitar, rhythm guitar, acoustic guitar, synthesizer, and bass. I did all the lead vocals and uh, half of the background vocals. When I I've told people that I'm playing every instrument on the record, just about, you know, I'm doing all the vocals and some background vocals to my own voice, and they say, wow, that must be really hard. The reality of the situation is that when you're playing against your own rhythm tracks, you know them better than anybody else does because you wrote them. And it's, it's really, I find it a lot easier to play against my own re recordings than uh, playing against somebody else's because I know exactly what I did prior to the uh, overdub. Most accomplished guitar players that can play rhythm and lead can usually play bass without any problem. And I, I was in groups where I used to have to teach, you know, the guy how to play bass, you know, he couldn't figure it out, so I have to figure it out for him. So, you know, I was always very well acquainted with bass guitar. I, I certainly think I've expanded my musical horizons just a little, you know, on this record. I think it'll, you know, I hope that, you know, people say, wow, you know, I didn't think he could do this or do that or could sing like that. Because, you know, I, I did a lot of different things with my voice that I've never been able to do up until now. 
and you know, I also got a couple of interesting guitar sounds I've never, you know, reproduced before on record. So I'm really, really happy with the way it turned out. Well, I have a, I have a really big guitar collection and a big amplifier collection, all old amplifiers, you know, dating back to the 40s and 50s. And you know, up until now, you know, whenever we did Kiss albums, you know, a lot of times we were on a very hectic schedule, as you very well know, with touring and everything. And a lot of times we didn't have as much time as we wanted to, you know, to, to do records and uh, especially guitar solos, you know. It was always the kind of thing where, all right, come on, you got to do a solo, you know, you have eight hours to do it, or whatever. And that's the way we, you know, we'd whip them out. But, you know, in this case of the solo albums, you know, we took two, I took two months to record it. It was the kind of thing where I brought all my guitars and all my amplifiers to the studio. And, you know, sometimes we just spend the whole day on a, a guitar solo to get the right sound. I think it shows. I think uh, it wasn't very different working with Eddie, uh, with Kiss as it was with the solo album. It's just that I just saw another side of him and he saw another side of me, you know. We worked a lot closer on this project than we did in the past because it was just me and Eddie. He didn't have to worry about three other guys. It was just me and Eddie basically and, uh, and Anton. Anton supplied the percussion and I supplied just about everything else. And it was just like the three of us went up to a mansion in Connecticut. We took it over and uh, we cut all the basic tracks up there, and it was, it was really fun. It was just me and Eddie. We started with rhythm, basic rhythm tracks, just rhythm guitar and drums, and then we started layering everything on top of it. I put the bass on, and then after we got all the basic tracks, we came down to Manhattan at Plaza Sound and did all the, most of the guitar solos and the vocals and stuff, synthesizer. So it came out, you know, basically we kept on schedule and everything turned out basically the way we wanted it. I really don't have any complaints about the record. For a while, I was very dormant. I think, you know, when, when the Alive One album hit, and I was bogged down with, with traveling, and, you know, I decided to get married, you know, around that time. And it, there was so much going on in my life, my creativity kind of went down. And if you check the records, you know, Destroyer or the one after I only I think I only wrote maybe one song on either of those albums. But, uh, this is probably the first project where I've really came out of my shell, so to speak, and uh, you know wrote all the songs except for one. And uh, I think now that I've you know realized what my uh, abilities are, I think I'll probably be doing a lot more in the future with Kiss. I'm sure each of the albums are going to bring out one side of, of all of us that none of us never knew we had. I think it's going to make us all better as one unit. I'll never forget the first night when we when we did that tour, and the guy said, you got to do Shock Me Live. And I was really nervous. <laughs> you had to get up in front of 20,000 people and sing lead, and I never had before. So. But I, you know, I, I just tried not to think about it. And it just happened, you know, it came natural. I would say I'm more confident now as a singer and guitar player than I've ever been in my life, probably. A lot of the insecurities have gone away that I've had in the past. Everybody's insecure in their own. Well, see, I, I'm never satisfied with what I do. You know, I'll say it's good, even, and I do do some good guitar work, but I always want to strive for a higher level. A lot of times I can't, you know. A lot of times playing live, all of us have to give up a little musicianship for jumping up in the air and doing a flip or whatever. 
and uh, it's you know I'm sure you know I, I'm sure I could play more proficient live if I stood still and, and never had to do any choreography. And, but you know you give you give a little and you it's a give and take situation. It's like everything you gotta you gotta give up something to gain something else. You know the English rock invasion affected me uh, in a very positive way. You know I really thought that they had it. You know had the right idea. Jeff Beck, Eric Clapton, uh, Peter Townsend was a big influence on in me. When I, first, I saw the Who's first New York appearance at the Murray Decay show, and they were opening up for Mitch Wright and Detroit Reels. And I was there with my friend, I was 16, 15 or 16 years old, and he threw his guitar 20 feet in the air and caught it, and a smoke bomb went off. I said, this is the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen in my life. This, I want to do the same thing. I'd always been a, wanted to be a commercial artist. You know, I designed the KISS logo, and I've designed other other things for people. You know, I, I, my specialty is logos. I, I'm into lettering and all that kind of stuff and layout work. And uh, when I was around 16, you know, that was a point in my life where I said, well, what am I going to do? Am I going to go to art school and really seriously become a commercial hustler? Do I want to be a rock and roller? And after seeing, you know, the Who Live, they, they really made the decision for <laughs> me. Pretty, pretty inspiring, that, that type of... Th theatrics mixed with rock and roll always excited me the most, you know. I mean, good rock and roll is good rock and roll, but when you can mix it with a theatrical show and make and make it that much more exciting, that's what really, that's what, that's probably the whole, you know, the whole thing that makes KISS work. I mean, we're becoming an institution at this point, and, you know, even subconsciously when I write material, you know, sometimes it comes out, uh, well, you know, I'm a rock and roll, you know, and Kiss is rock and roll. All right, those were the legendary black box interviews from Gene, Paul, Peter, and Ace regarding their 1978 solo album. Something else that came out in 1978 was the first in a long, long line of Kiss compilations, that being Double Platinum. Um, as most of you probably know, Double Platinum is a little different from some of the later compilations because it featured some uh, remixes of Kiss songs. Um, Calling Dr. Love got a new intro. The drums in Hard Luck Woman came in a little later and things of the sort. But probably the most dramatic change was the complete re-recording of Strutter, in uh, which they called Strutter 78. It was given a more disco backbeat um, there's actually some controversy. Did Peter play on Strutter 78 or not? Or, really? Yeah. Have you, not, have you not heard that? No. Uh, you know, boy, I, 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 that's new to me. I, do they think he didn't? I have heard uh, rumblings that either it was a, a drum machine or it was um, a different drummer altogether. And really, when you listen to the song, you know, the it's kind of got almost like double time on the hi-hat going on and stuff, you know, and I can kind of see where people are, you know, saying that might not be Peter Chris because it doesn't sound like Peter Chris. Well, see, here's the thing about Peter's drumming on that song, right? So Double Platinum came out in April of 1978, which means that that song was recorded in early 1978. To be honest, I think Peter was outstanding around that time. His drumming on the Love Gone album is, is stellar. Oh, I would agree with that, absolutely. Um... Listen, yeah, like, well, like, for example, like the hi-hat in Shock Me. It's, uh... It's something that I've tried to duplicate for years. You know that one film I'm talking about, right? The one right before the second verse. Um, yeah. It just out, outstanding. But yeah, I, I, I think Strutter 78 is superb. I think 
uh, Ace's playing on that is really, really good. I, I would agree. You know what? And if uh, all you KISS fans out there, uh, shoot us an email and let us know what you think. Was it Peter Chris or was it a drum machine? And so we have for you a little rarity. Um, this is a recording. This is the, f the single version of Strutter 78. And it's not just abridged or shorter. It's actually a very different mix. You'll hear kind of a lot of... Uh, yeah, it's, it's different from the, from the album version. So give it a listen.
So this is the What's on Your Mind segment, which is where uh, we get a chance to listen to what's on your mind. We, uh, we read your letters that you send and email and all that stuff. And uh, we're just so excited that you enjoy this show because we really do enjoy doing it. Um, and we have a, an email here from Simone. And it says, um, oh, well, before I read this, let me just tell you where to send your emails. It's podkist, P-O-D-K-I-S-S-T, at gmail.com. So let's hear what Simone has to say. As most fans, I have been waiting for the new podcast every every day. Um, I checked the site and iTunes, and there hasn't been any new podcasts. So I'm just wondering, is somebody sick or something anyway? Sincerely, Simone. Simone, thank you so much. I'm, I'm glad you are checking. I hope that this this is cool. Yeah, we, uh, all, all, all of you people who, you know, are, you know, you hound us, you know, when's the next show, when's the next show, when's the next show? Thank you. You know, it, it makes us, you know, so proud that we have something that uh, people enjoy. We, and we know you waited a long time, right? I mean, it was a long time. Yeah, I mean, it's been six months and, you know, people are still patiently waiting and that's just absolutely amazing. And so, I mean, we, we know that we, the next one really won't be so long. Like, we do have a lot of really cool stuff we want to do. It's 2008. There's a lot of really cool anniversaries coming up. Um, I mean, you know, there's a lot of things that end in eight that were cool for KISS and, and probably a lot of neat stuff that's coming down the pike that's new. So, um, you know, we promise the next one will be soon, like in October or something. <laughs> October, December, something like okay. Merry Christmas. <laughs> anyway, this is from Jeff in Canada. Um, I just wanted to send you a quick note to thank you for the great job you've both been doing with your KISS podcast. I discovered it when I was using iTunes the other day, uploading my iPod. I was able to get shows two through four. I really enjoy show, show four and listen to them in bed before going to sleep. I think the shows are informative and entertaining. I'm not sure if you've heard of the Montreal KISS tribute called French Kissin', but I was a drummer that played on the Making Love track. It was really cool to be a part of that, and it was also fi- cool to finally meet Paul and Jean that summer. Well, it won't take much more of your time. I just wanted to thank you for doing what you do. I love anything Kiss, and your show provides some interesting insight. You both should be very proud. I want to listen to all the shows before I offer any advice, but I have a few topic ideas you might like. Have a great holiday, and I wish you both the best of luck in 2008. Take care, Jeff. Jeff, that's very cool. Thank you so much for writing to us. And I have that album. I do have the French Kiss, and, and you know what? When we do the end credits, um, after we say our thank yous and, and, and uh, bid you adieu, um, we'll play that. Absolutely. Yeah, making love from French Kissing, we'll do that for you. Um, and uh, we are proud. We're very proud to do to do this show for the Kiss fans because, you know, it sounds really, really tacky, but this is kind of like the Kiss show we never heard. Right. Oh, absolutely. That's why we're doing it. So we, uh, we're we trying to make, you know, something for all you fans to enjoy. And uh, when it comes to topic ideas, please send them along. So thanks to everyone who wrote in. That's very cool. And on, a, and on a serious note, all joking aside, because this is a, a, a show by fans for fans, um, we want to uh, recognize that um, a, a much beloved KISS fan has passed away. Um, someone who is known to folks like me and James who frequent the message boards. Um, and he's going to be missed. Um, James, you want to say a few words about that? Dave Wilson made it possible for... Gary and I both to have some of the um, the material we're, we're sharing with you guys on these podcasts, uh, these you know unofficial recordings and whatnot. And um, Dave, honestly, you know I can say, and I didn't know I didn't know Dave. You know I'd never spoken to Dave, you know outside of the internet. But I can say, you know, because you get to know people when you when you deal so much with them and stuff. It sounds corny, but I think that is the magic of of what's going on with Kiss on the internet and. You know this show and um, websites like the ones that we frequent is that people do make um, you know friendships that 
you know, around a kind of silly thing. I mean, we tell people we do, I, I tell people I do this. I'm sure you have the same experience and people are just like, what? This is ridiculous. But, um, you know, these are real people with real lives. And um, Well, just as an example, you know, Gary's on the complete other side of the country from me right now. Right. As we're doing this, we're doing this, you know, over the internet, over the phone. And uh, Dave was a guy, he, he was from Michigan. And um, he, he helped us out a lot and was really the, the sweetest guy you will ever meet. I mean, and he really, really was just a great, great guy. And uh, I remember he was going on vacation to follow a band around. I can't remember what band it was. And he said he might not be back for a while. So me and, you know, I guess the rest of the people on the message boards, we all assumed, you know, you know, Dave's gone for a while. He, he never came back, and a good friend of his started posting on the board that I moderate, the detention hall. She, she informed us that Dave had actually passed away some six months prior. Yeah, we we had no idea, and uh, we just would like to send our condolences out to his family, and to to let the you know the Kiss world know that we were missing one of our own, and he he definitely will be missed. All right, that's our show. Thanks so much for tuning in. We know it took a long time, and uh, we hope your patience was rewarded. We will not uh, delay as long in the next one. I know we said that last time, but um, we will we will try to uh, turn another one out soon. Um, big thanks to Julian from Kiss FAQ, who uh, gives us a great website with lots and lots of uh, good information. Uh, Tony from MyKissLife.net. He you know he hosts the podcast for us, and he also. Um you know, provides us with the Detention Hall message board, which is a, you know, a great place to discuss things. Big thanks to Sasha from SagaFu.com, um, allowing us collectors to get together and obsess about our favorite obsession. Um, also, there's a great new uh, message board that's been out here lately, uh, the Kiss Army HQ. Big thanks to Ken, otherwise known as Nightwing Ken, for the great graphics always on our website. Thank you so much, Ken. You rock. Absolutely. And uh, Ken also helps run a website called The Nine Lives of Peter Chris. It's a, a site dedicated to the man behind the mask, so check it out. Uh, kissonline.com, of course. Uh, Kiss Asylum. GeneSimmons.com. Uh, PaulStanley.com. TommyThayer.com. PeterChris.net. And of course, as always, goes without saying, um, you know, where would we be without Gene Simmons? Paul Stanley. Peter Chris. Ace Fraley. Vinnie Vincent. Bruce Kulick. Eric Singer. Tommy Thayer. And the memories of Eric Carr. And Mark St. John. You are KISS. And we are your army. Thanks so much for tuning in and good night. And here is Making Love performed by a band called Fractured 2 with Jeff on drums from French Kissin'. I just hate when a girl says wave. I really want her by my side. Don't hesitate.
for you tonight and uh, what we have for you this is on oh my god okay. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. He, um, okay. what we have for you is a demo featuring Peter Chris I said Chris okay 